Jets general manager Joe Douglas has built a team expected to do big things in 2023. I think it's a make or break year for him, and I'll explain why today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, May 31st, the final day of May in 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com. Thanking you for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, give this give the show a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out and help other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Each Wednesday we try and do a mailbag with listener questions. Our first question is on the job status of Jets general manager Joe Douglas. The question goes... Are there any discussions regarding a Joe Douglas extension? Is he going to be back or not? So with the caveat that sometimes contract negotiations are not reported to the public, I have yet to hear anything to suggest Joe Douglas is in the process of negotiating a contract extension. And I think that's logical. He's entering the fifth year of a six-year contract. Back in 2019, it was right around this time in 2019, you have to remember the Jets made kind of an unusual hiring as far as the time frame goes because they got rid of Mike McCagnan after the draft. And typically teams, it's not, you know, it wasn't the first time a team's ever fired its general manager after the draft, but the Jets fired Mike McCagnan after the draft. Usually it happens right after the season because if you don't want a guy to continue, you usually don't let him run an entire offseason. So the Jets brought Douglas in and he got a six-year contract, which was a smart move by Douglas. And the Jets really wanted Douglas. He had a lot of that word, that fa- my favorite word of the offseason, my fa- uh, leverage as he negotiated his deal with the Jets. It was smart for him to get a six-year contract because, first of all, he really could not do a whole lot that first year. The offseason was already done. The free agency was done. The draft was finished. And the Jets had signed so many players in free agency that he was very limited even in that second year in the offseason of 2020 and what he could do. So beyond that, the Jets were a mess in 2019. You know, I, if you remember, they were they were in really rough shape roster wise. So it was always going to be a long term situation. It was never going to be a quick turnaround for Joe Douglas. So he was smart to get a six year contract. But we're entering what is year five, and you know we can kind of dismiss that first year, twenty nineteen, because again he really couldn't do anything. So it's really year four for Douglas, and it's year three of this build because again in year in the second season, twenty twenty, he was pretty limited in what he could do in the off season. But now we're in. Year four overall, year three of this build, it's time to start seeing results. He's got Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. So I almost look at it like you, you could get to the end of the season and say, if this does, team doesn't have a winning record, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, and he, hasn't built, and he hasn't built a team that Aaron Rodgers can take to the playoffs, I think that that's a point where the Jets will start to question whether Douglas has this team moving in the direction it needs to be moving in. I know some people will point to Woody Johnson and they'll say, well, Woody Johnson was behind the Rodgers trade. So if it doesn't work out, how can you fire Douglas? Well, Woody Johnson's done the same thing to a head coach in the past. He was the guy who forced the Brett Favre trade through against Eric Mangini's objections. And he still fired Mangini when the team 
fell down the stretch. So there's clearly precedent there. But, you know, getting beyond Woody, getting beyond any of this, you know, this is even if but the most generous interpretation for Douglas, and I think it's a fair interpretation, is that this is the third year of this current build because the 2021 offseason, the Jets had draft picks. They had a lot of cap space. So Douglas has had a chance to mold this roster as he wanted to. And, you know, you may say it's only three years. Three years is an eternity in the NFL. In the NFL, you turn your roster over typically within a two-year span. So now we're in, like, we're, we're at a point where Douglas has had plenty of time to build this up. So I think it's time to see what see what Douglas has done. There have been some good things, most notably the 2022 draft where he hit a grand slam. This was, even after one season, this is already one of the great drafts in Jets history. Uh, Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, Brees Hall. Amazing. And it could get even better if Jermaine Johnson hits or Jeremy Ruckert hits or Max Mitchell hits and Michael Clemens is a good rotational player. This draft that's already great could get even better. The bad side is, I mean, a lot. Uh, almost every, I mean, almost everything beyond the 22-22 draft. I mean, there have been a few standout moves like signing DJ Reed, but Douglas is still here. Douglas still has a shot because of the 2022 draft. And now let's see what he did this offseason to build the team up around Aaron Rodgers. But I, I think it's make or break time for Joe Douglas. You know, I think, I don't think you can sit around forever. Jets have, ha, Jets have the longest playoff drought in major North American sports. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback this year. And if Douglas has not built a good enough roster around Aaron Rodgers, then I think it's fair to say, you know, maybe it's time to move on. He's only got one year left on that contract. Now, if they make the playoffs this year, I'm expecting he's going to get an extension. But I, I would imagine the Jets are in wait and see mode right now. And that's probably why we have not heard much about an extension for Douglas because we have to see how the season goes. Our next question also about Douglas. It's a little bit of a pessimistic, pessimistic question. If Aaron Rodgers gets hurt because of a bad offensive line, do you think Douglas gets fired or is Douglas safe no matter what? Well, I just explained why Douglas is not safe no matter what. I actually think that that's one of the scenarios though, where Douglas, the Jets could have a bad year and Douglas could still be saved. And I know the question asked, well, if, Douglas builds a bad offensive line and Rodgers gets hurt, shouldn't he be fired? I don't think that's what'll happen, though, because I think you'll have the excuse, well, what, what are you supposed to do? You lost Aaron Rodgers. So while I understand the question, you know, the premise of the question is that, you know, Douglas may not have done such a great job building such an important part of your football team, and the Jets' offensive line, I think, to be fair, has a number of question marks to it, and it's, it's a unit that makes me a little bit nervous blocking for a 39-year-old quarterback, the fact of the matter is there aren't many teams in the NFL that are built to withstand an injury to the quarterback, and the Jets are among them. If Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, Jets are going to probably have a rough season, and that's true of, like I think, like 90 to 95% of teams in the league. And I think that in that case, you might get a pass, because I think if you're looking across the league, Joe Douglas, and this is not, the, this is not a point that I came up with. Actually, I was speaking with, with a, a listener of the podcast recently uh, on a draft Zoom chat that he, that he held, he made a great point. He said, you know, if you look across the league, Joe Douglas is respected in a way that Mike McCagnan and John Idzik were not. And I think that that matters. You know, it's always difficult when there's a hiring because there are lots of unnamed sources, you know, who are telling you whether a hire is good or not. So the way whenever there's a even, even when we're, whether we're talking about a hiring or whether we're talking about anything else, when you hear these stories with unnamed sources, this is typically how I determine the validity if you're hearing the same thing over and over again from all different angles, from national reporters, from, from beat reporters, from TV guys to radio guys to print journalists, if you're hearing, and you're hearing the same thing over and over, 
that's a sign to me that something is accurate. And when Joe Douglas was hired, it received like universal acclaim. So we know Joe Douglas is respected across the league. Now, if the Jets miss the playoffs this year, and it's five years with Douglas as GM, and Rodgers is still there, and he couldn't build a playoff team around Aaron Rodgers after five years, I think people will understand that, you know what, the Jets probably need to move on here. But if Rodgers gets hurt, I think, and I, I feel, I don't even want to talk about this because this is such a bad scenario, but because the question was asked, uh, I'm answering it. If Rodgers gets hurt, I think that's the scenario where Joe Douglas may get a do-over, be- in part because I think the, the buzz around the league would be, well, Douglas is a good GM, you know, he's respected, everybody said it, you know, again, when he was hired, it was from TV to print to radio to national to local reporters, they all said the same thing. Everybody said Joe Douglas was great. That was not true when Mike McCagnan was hired. That was not true when John, when John Nidzik was hired. So what that tells me is Douglas is a guy who just has a wide, wide amount of respect in the NFL. That tells me that that's accurate. And I think that if the Jets were to fire Douglas in that situation, there would be a big thought in the league that it wasn't fair. And I think the Jets may struggle to find a replacement for him. So... I think that if you're looking for a scenario where Joe Douglas survives a bad season, it would be one where Rodgers gets hurt, where people would say, you know, what's he supposed to do? He didn't have his quarterback. That's my view. It's just my best guess. Sometimes I've been right about these things. Sometimes I've been wrong about these things. And as always, a lot of it comes down to the details and the specifics, which are things we don't know about right now. Now, head here on the Locked On Jets podcast, we will continue our weekly mailbag show. We're going to turn our attention on the offensive line. We're going to talk Makai Becton. Should he play left tackle? Should Dwayne Brown maybe go to the bench? I'll give you some thoughts as we continue on this Wednesday mailbag edition of the Locked On Jets podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Built Bar. You know what's a great summer snack? Built Bar. These bars are absolutely delicious. They're protein bars. They do not taste like them, though. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right. Real chocolate, and they come in amazing flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and cookies and cream. I don't know how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, and they're healthy. Most bars only have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait for, to get a box. For years, you've probably been hearing me talk about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com, and of course you can still do that to get your favorite specialty flavors, but now you can also go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club to get your Built Bars immediately. So head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a 4-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs, or if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box of hit flavors like Brownie Batter Puff or Churro Puff. Or, of course, just go to Built.com and order delicious Built Bars. You can thank me later. Thank you for making Lockdown Jets your first listen every day. We continue with our weekly mailbag show. Our next question, I seem to be much more confident in the offensive line than others. I think we have credible starters and credible backups and depth. One thing I am confused about is the assumption that Becton will play right to tackle. The knock against him has always been his health and his conditioning. If healthy, why not have a competition at left tackle between Becton and Brown? The winner starts. The loser is one of the better backup left tackles in the game. The winner between Mitchell Turner and AVT plays right tackle. I think the reason they're not going to do that, and this is, I'm I'm going out on a limb here and thinking that Brown is penciled in as the left tackle and Becton's penciled in as the right tackle. I think the reason they're not going to do that is that they think Brown and Becton are their two best tackles. And I think that if you look at the right tackle position, you know, Turner's a guy who's a pretty solid backup, I think. Elijah Vera Tucker's a guy who I think you could make a case. You could play him a tackle, but I think the Jets view him as a guard. And 
there's kind of a debate that you can have. Are you better off playing Vera Tucker at the position that's at, higher, at a higher premium tackle? Or is it the position where he's going to be better? Because he's probably going to be better at guard than at tackle. So what's more valuable to you? Having the tackle, now typically tackles are more valuable than guards. If you can play well there, then there's an argument, well, that's better for the Jets than having him at, at guard. But the counter to that, which I think is what the Jets believe, is that he's going to maximize his value playing at, at guard. And I think that, you know, Max Mitchell is kind of a wild card here, but I think the Jets view that their two best tackles are Becton and Brown. And Becton was a first-round pick just three years ago. And although he's had a tough time staying healthy, and listen, heading into the offseason, I was the guy telling you that it was a big risk to continue with Becton as a starter. But based on the moves the Jets have made, it's pretty much their best bet now. You know, would I have handled things differently? Yeah, I probably would have, but... We can't turn back the clock now. And the Jets have made their decision, and I think they're going to go forward with Becton. And in 2020, as a rookie, I thought he played pretty well. To be honest with you, I think that there was more good than bad from him as a rookie, especially given expectations, because he was viewed as a bit of a project coming out of Louisville. And he really held down the left tackle position decently. Now, I don't think the Jets are going to move Dwayne Brown at 38 years old. He's kind of been entrenched at left tackle for a long time. And while he was a bad run blocker last year, he did a credible job as a pass blocker. Now, he's clearly in decline. He's clearly not the guy who was a pro bowler in Houston or in Seattle. But I think the Jets view that Robert Sala uses the phrase, the best five guys will play on offensive line. I don't love that mindset because that's the same mindset that got Rex Ryan saying in 2014, we're going to play the best 11 guys on defense. And that led to a safety named Antonio Allen playing corner who just could not hold up at the corner position because he was a safety. So I think, I think I always get a little nervous whenever I hear a coach saying we're playing the best, this number of guys. And Salas repeatedly said, we're playing the best five guys at offensive line. They should play the five guys who fit the best. And I think that there's a case to be made that Vera Tucker next to Becton makes sense. You know, that was always the plan, I think, when they traded up for Vera Tucker. They, they had this vision, originally it was on the left side, now I think it's on the right side of Vera Tucker and Becton playing next to each other and being a real, like a real run-heavy, run mauling side of the, the line. So I think that that's kind of what the Jets are going for. But while it is a risk to try and get 17 games out of Becton, I think they're going to try and get as much as they can because at the end of the day, Turner or Mitchell's or AVT's going in there anyway if Becton gets hurt. So, you know, it could work itself out organically. And it also could work itself out organically if Brown is not healthy, then Becton slides the left tackle. So in some ways, you know, the question asks, why not just have why not just have Brown or Becton as the backup left tackle? Well, even in the scenario where Becton's playing right tackle, I still think he's the backup left tackle because I think if anything happens to Brown, he's going to slide over to the left side. But I think it boils down to something rather simple, and that's that the Jets think that their best offensive line involves Becton at right tackle because they think he's a better right tackle than AVT or Mitchell or Turner. Our next question, this is an interesting question. How do incentives in a player's contract work against the salary cap? For example, Carl Lawson can make up to $12 million this year that means that he could get an extra $3 million in incentive pay. Does that $3 million factor into the cap this year? What happens if he doesn't hit it? Does it factor into the cap next year? Does the cap hit roll over? How does this work? So this is a great question. And the answer is it depends. So there are two types of incentives. So every incentive has to be categorized in one, uh, one of two ways. It's either a likely to be earned incentive or a not likely to be earned incentive. And 
I think those names speak for themselves, but I'll explain them anyway. Likely to be earned means there's a pretty good chance the player's going to hit the incentive. Not likely to be earned means it's kind of a long shot. So if it's a likely to be earned incentive, it counts against your cap this year. And if the player fails to hit it, you get that amount of money back next year. So let's say this loss in $3 million in incentives is viewed as likely to be earned. It, the $3 million will count against the Jets cap in 2023. And if he hits it, he hits it. If he fails to hit it, the Jets get a $3 million credit. So they get an extra $3 million for their cap in 2024. And not likely to be earned is kind of the opposite. Not likely to be earned means player's probably not going to hit it this year. So it does not count against the cap. If the player hits it, then you lose that money next year. So if, let's say the $3 million for Lawson is not likely to be earned. Jets don't get charged against the cap this year. But if he hits it, the Jets get $3 million taken away from their cap hit next year. So that's that's how these incentives work. I think the reason they did it this way was to try and prevent teams from circumventing the cap, doing something like, if in a world where incentives did not count against the cap this year, doing something like giving a player a $1 million contract, base salary, and then like a $15 million incentive if he plays one game. Because if you if you do that, you're kind of cheating the system. You know, if it didn't, if, if an incentive like that did not count against the cap this year, you'd really be cheating the system. So I think they're trying to avoid something like that. So at the end of the day, every incentive a player gets in his contract is either likely to be earned or not likely to be earned. And that determines the salary cap treatment. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we will close out this weekly mailbag. We'll talk about whether the Jets have regressed in any areas. I think the answer is no. I'll explain a little bit in a little bit more detail as we continue on this Wednesday mailbag edition of the Lockdown Jets podcast. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Wednesday. We're doing our weekly mailbag show. Our next question. People love saying that we have not improved at any position group except for quarterback, which is arguable. Even without counting rookies, since we don't know if they'll be any good yet, I still think we got better at wide receiver and safety. But do you think we have regressed at any position groups? I I don't think so. I, I, think, I don't think the Jets are appreciably... I'm actually one of those people. I don't think the Jets are appreciably better at any position right now aside from quarterback. But I don't think they're any worse at any position other than quarterback. I mean, there are a few spots where they, maybe they've improved the depth. I think, you know, the depth at wide receiver is better. But I don't think that the top end the talent is really all that different. I like the trade for Chuck Clark, but I don't think he's that much better than LaMarcus Joyner. But, so I, I guess, you know, like there's a few areas where you can make a case. I don't think they've, they've gotten appreciably better anywhere except quarterback. But I also don't think they've gotten appreciably worse anywhere. And that's why I think the Jets are such an interesting team this year. If I was not a Jets fan, I'd be really interested in this team anyway, just because this is a good test case to see how much the quarterback really matters. Because this is a team that went from having you know some of the worst quarterback play in the NFL with the three guys they had back there last year. And I'm not going to include Chris Treffler. You could throw him in there. You could say the four quarterbacks the Jets had there back, had back there. And they're replacing him with a Hall of Fame quarterback who is probably past his prime, but still probably, you know, in the top 10 in the league. So how much of a difference does going from the bottom of the league at quarterback to the top of the league at quarterback make it it change things for a team? I I think that that's what we're going to find out. But I can't think of a spot where the Jets are really worse than they were a year ago. And that's one of the, again, I think that's why it makes this team a very interesting watch this season. Our next question Joe Flacco and Mike White led the NFL by a solid percentage of dropbacks where they were hit as they were throwing. Zach Wilson was among the league leaders in throwing the ball away last year. These highlight the differences in quarterback athleticism and ability to evade a rush, and ultimately the quarterback's ability to stay healthy. But it also underscores how the offensive line let 
the offense down. With no major additions this offseason and the oldest quarterback in the league, how is this not a recipe for disaster? All of the recent examples of 37-year-old or older quarterbacks with bottom 10 offensive lines were train wrecks that led to those quarterbacks retiring after that season. I think it's a concern. I'll throw a few things out there that maybe will ease your mind a bit. Um, First of all, while there are always injuries on the offensive line, while you cannot count on having a healthy offensive line, last year the Jets' offensive line was had so many injuries it just kind of defied belief. I, I would not expect the Jets to have this many injuries this year. So I think from that standpoint, you know, things are probably a little bit better. The second thing I'll say is that I, I do have concerns with Rodgers because I think his mobility has declined from its peak in Green Bay. I don't think it's as bad as Flacco and White, though. I still think he's got enough ability to move that it's not going to be quite as bad. I mean, stat, Flacco's a st- statue, and Flacco, Flacco's always been a statue back there. He's never really been able to move at all, and White's not really a guy with much mobility either. Rodgers has never been a guy you, you design a ton of runs for, but he's always been a guy with enough athleticism to evade pressure. Even that's that's decreased, you're, you're not dealing with Flacco, so... Those are the those are the things that may, should make you feel a little bit better. I think it's a concern, though. I, I have cons- I have worries about this offensive line. I, I can't tell you it's going to be great, but I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as we saw last year. And Rodgers also, you know, you hope that he's going to do a better job of getting this team in the correct protection. Although I guess you did have a veteran in Flacco, but I, I thought last year Flacco had the Jets in the wrong protection an awful lot for a guy who's such a veteran quarterback. So hopefully that'll help things a little bit. You know, there's the theory that Rodgers' ability to hard count and draw guys offside makes pass rushers hesitate a little bit to make his offensive line better. So there are a couple things out there. I'm not going to just totally dismiss it because I, I, I myself am concerned about this offensive line, but I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as it was last year for, for those reasons. And first among them is I think it's almost impossible, even in a spot like offensive line where injuries happen regularly, it's almost impossible to imagine. I shouldn't say this because I'll jinx it, but I think it's almost impossible to imagine a scenario where the Jets suffered this many injuries on the offensive line this year. And our last question, do you want to see the Jets run up the score on New England this year to get revenge for all the times Brady did that to us? I want to see the Jets beat New England. Let's end the 14-game winning streak. You know, yes, for your stress level, a blowout win's better than a close win, but a win's a win. And yeah, I guess once you get down the tiebreaker list at the end of the year, point differential does come into play eventually. But it's been 14 games. Let's get one win against New England. I don't care how it happens. They should have won at least one of those two games last year, if not both. Get a get a victory. You know, I don't think, I'm never of the mindset that we should be able to count on blowing another team out. The Chicago Bears had the number one overall pick last year, or they started with the number one overall pick. They went 3-14 and 14 before they traded the first pick to Carolina. One of their three wins was against San Francisco, a team that went to the NFC Championship game and may have gone to the Super Bowl had they not, had they not been decimated by injuries. So it shows you, like, any team can beat any team in the NFL. You can never count on crushing another team and embarrassing them, but I, I just focus on getting a win against them. Jets beat the Patriots by one this year. I'll be thrilled. Jets sweep the Patriots and they win both games by one. It's a great, great thing. So I'm not so worried about how the wins come. I just want to get wins. 
Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you're listening on a podcast source, give the show a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out, help other Jets fans find us. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back next time to talk more Jets.